Welcome to Inside Seaweed. This is the podcast where we talk about the incredible world of seaweed and how this growing industry is bringing innovation and solutions to address climate change and the environmental crisis. My guest today is a seaweed farmer. In fact, he's one of the first seaweed farmers in North America and the CEO of the largest provider of ocean cultivated seaweed in North America. His name is Mike Williamson from Cascadia Seaweed. The company is based in Sydney on the beautiful coast of the Canadian province of British Columbia. Uh, Mike's relationship with the seas started early on in his career as he served in the Royal Canadian Navy for over 30 years before becoming an ocean entrepreneur. I will add Mike's full bio to the episode's notes, but now I just want to go straight into the interview because this episode is packed with interesting stories and information. Please enjoy my chat with Mike Williamson. Mike, good morning. It's nice to see you and thank you for taking the time today. Good morning. Uh, thanks for reaching out, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. I want to start with something I've come across uh, when I was doing my research in preparation for this interview, and I feel I should have known, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> that you were invited uh, to speak to COP26 in Glasgow last year. How was that? It was a very interesting experience. Um, as you know, uh, COP26 is a uh, conference of parties and it's to discuss climate change and impact on it and ways of mitigating. So it was a, a really large forum in uh, Glasgow, uh, many countries. I think we were probably the only seaweed entrepreneurs there though. So what I talked about and what I saw was always in that context of uh, using nature-based solutions to aid uh, in the battle against climate change. I was going to say, was seaweed uh, an alien thing well there were there was lots of solutions there there were uh, folks uh, with a variety of reduction targets and a variety of production targets um, yeah I think it was a bit of an alien thing um, interestingly enough when I introduced myself as a, a seaweed farmer uh, it always opened up an interesting conversation because people wanted to learn more and that's why uh, podcasts such as this are important in spreading the word Absolutely. What did you learn from the event? I learned that, um, I mean, it may seem trite to say this, but folks are uh, finally taking uh, it seriously that we have to make a change to prevent uh, global warming and uh, the disaster that will ensue. Um, the government message or the message in the, in the hallways was that industry has to play a larger part. Uh, and we're happy to be part of that industry that's making uh, a positive contribution and the other thing I learned is there were uh, three or four different constituent groups there. There was the, the politicians that flew in and flew out. There were the bureaucrats, their staff that are doing the work on policies and pronouncements. Um, there were folks like myself, industry and um, not-for-profits. And then there were the out folks outside, the vocalizers. I don't call them protesters. They were just putting words and making noise to gather everybody's attention to it. And, and I mean, there were a lot of vocalizers or folks in the streets, but it was really done with a, uh, a, a well-meaning intent. 
It, it's funny. I'll tell you one super quick story. I was walking down a, a barricade of police and fences and there was a protester in front of me with a sign. And I said, hey, let me buy. I'm just a simple seaweed farmer. And she put down her sign and she walked over. She goes, really? I want to be a seaweed farmer too. And we talked for about 20 minutes about the research of the seaweed farming. Really? All this protest going on around us. And there I was having a dialogue, uh, converting folks or educating folks one at a time. Something you would do again then as an mm. experience. Absolutely. I think it's important to spread the word. There's lots of uh, solutions we can uh, employ. And with seaweed as one of them, I'm happy to talk about it and promote it. You've been a, you've been working as an active entrepreneur for about 10 years now. Uh, you have an MBA, years of experience in, in the Navy. If you put your mentor hat on for a second and imagine to be talking to a fellow entrepreneur at the start of their career, just starting up a business, um, as I imagine there may very well be a, among the listeners, would you encourage them to start a business in the seaweed space? And if so, what makes it a good decision in 2022? So um, the first thing I'd always say to any startup entrepreneur, and it's a often used phrase, and that is to begin with the end in mind. Have a relatively well-established vision of what you want your enterprise or your business to be. That doesn't mean that you have to fully understand the product or the price or the placement, but understand in general what you stand for. And at Cascadia Seaweed, It's all about a positive impact on the planet. With respect to other entrepreneurs that want to get into the seaweed industry, uh, it's important to have uh, some things in place that you're going to need to be successful. Obviously, um, being coastal helps, uh, being close to the sea or being in a jurisdiction where seaweed grows, or um, doing something in a related activity, buying seaweed and processing it or doing value-add for other products, food, feed or fiber or do things like you're doing help to better understand the industry and convene people and become uh, a source of it, of information seaweed is definitely a burgeoning growing sector across the western world there's 20,000 species worldwide of red brown and green seaweed and we're just now starting to understand some of the functional properties and principles that we can employ it as As it grows, it performs a wide variety of ecosystem services. So anything we can collectively do to uh, foster and further the seaweed industry is a good one. And for a startup entrepreneur, uh, do your research, understand the various aspects of the sector and pick something that plays to your strengths. Again, beginning with the end in mind. I've heard you talk in a previous interview about the wide range of different things that we can make with seaweed. And it was beautifully put because you said something like, and please feel free to jump in and, you know, if I get this wrong, um, you said that there were about 11 or 12 verticals in the seaweed industry um, and you couldn't possibly do everything or you'd fail uh, inevitably. So you decided to focus on one to start with and that and you had three more that you were pursuing for the future. Could you please explain um what these three verticals are and, and maybe give an update on how things are going uh, with each of these verticals? Sure. Um, unless there's more? No, sure. And I'll, I'll try and be concise because I could finish the whole hour just talking about <laughs> um, what we're doing. There's a term in um, industries that involve plants or plant-based products. Of course, seaweed's not a plant. It's an algae 
but it has plant-like uh, characteristics <clears throat> and it uses photosynthesis to grow. That is, it takes energy from the sun, absorbs carbon dioxide and gives off oxygen. Um, I talked earlier in this interview about f uh, food, feed and fiber. So food is uh, human food and we are um, going after that market with our own brand of uh, plant-based healthy snacks and staples under the Cove Ocean Foods brand, Cove with a K. We're also looking at uh, seaweed, doing some fundamental research uh, with seaweed as an additive, a feed additive for cows. Uh, cows are responsible for about 5% of uh, greenhouse gases and there's a lot of cows globally. Uh, folks are eating less meat, but uh, there's more people eating less meat so overall the demand's increasing so we want to ensure that cows uh, have a lesser uh, negative impact on the environment so we're doing research with uh, seaweed as an additive brown seaweeds to reduce methane to increase feed conversion efficiency and uh, also better uh, for the gut biome of the cows it just makes it for a healthier cow requiring less uh, pharmaceuticals and antibiotics the third vertical we're looking at is um, functional ingredients and that means taking a frond of seaweed and breaking it down into its constituent components of carbohydrates and polysaccharides which are sugars, uh, proteins, there's a number of other elements like fucoidins. So for us the three main verticals are uh, plant-based food for humans, feed additives for bovine and then the third one is doing research on uh, chemicals and products that we can extract in a green and environmentally friendly way from the seaweed to use um, the whole plant. There's a fourth uh, overarching um, benefit of seaweed and that is ecosystem services. I mentioned earlier that as it grows it's positive so what it does is it grows in the ocean, it sequesters carbon, it uptakes excess nutrients, it reduces acidification and it creates habitat. We have another science project that we're doing um, that's looking at the interaction of seaweed forests with wild salmon as they spawn. Uh, as the salmon come out of the rivers and head into the ocean, they need a place to dwell, to uh, adapt themselves to the new environment, and seaweed provides uh, a wonderful um, milieu, a great place for them to do that. So those are the four main verticals. The things we're not pursuing right now, as I mentioned in a previous chat, was things like plastic, fertilizer, folks are using seaweed for fabrics. Um, we couldn't pursue them all. A company has to be focused and our focus is the three main verticals with, as I said, the overarching aspect of uh, positively affecting the ecosystem. There's another thing that we're doing that's a great collateral benefit to us growing uh, seaweed. We're in British Columbia on the west coast of Canada, which has thousands and thousands of kilometers of coastline. And in British Columbia, uh, along the entire coastline from the southern border to the northern border are a lot of indigenous or First Nations communities, which are uh, uh, folks that have been here for millennia. Uh, the indigenous people that have used seaweed have lived on the coast and they know the interaction of, of uh, wonderful plants like seaweed with the environment, with their economy, with their food. And we partner with local First Nations communities to help uh, give them an opportunity to participate in this economic sector. And in turn, we gain uh, knowledge from their wisdom, having lived near the sea. Uh, there's uh, opportunities for jobs and ownership in the farms. So it's a great uh, community 
based uh, activity. There's lots of social license to do it. So um, it's an added benefit to what we do as a company, both being part of the blue economy and providing um, economic activity, providing green quality, organic or vegan products to the marketplace, addressing um, bovine feed where on arable land and uh, the regular agricultural means of feeding cows is becoming more and more challenged. And then finally, the ecosystem services. So that's a, a quick, broad brush of uh, our uh, business profile. It may sound like a lot, but at the end of the day, it's all about uh, producing a large amount of quality biomass at a low price. And the way you do it at a low price is through scale, by being large, by having, for example, a 100 hectare farm located in one area so that all the costs of getting out to building the farm, seeding it, monitoring it and then harvesting are all in one area and that reduces the unit cost and it helps us keep seaweed as a price competitive product. With that in mind, do you think there is room for small businesses? Uh, and in fact, could you benefit from cooperation with a network of small businesses? Yes, uh, absolutely. And there's two ways that can work. Um, the smaller businesses are typically cottage industries or moms and pops or family operations where in a particular area they may have a one or 10 or 15 hectare farm. And many, many folks uh, in the United Kingdom, in North America, in Norway, in the Netherlands, there are small scale farmers and they're um, planting their own seaweed, harvesting their own seaweed and processing their own seaweed for their own use. They have their own brands of food, or soap, or cosmetics, or biostimulants, and they're doing great business, and 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 that's fine. Um, I, I won't call it a small business, I'll just call it a business, and, and the, those uh, entrepreneurs can scale it as uh, they need. The other way that uh, a network of small farmers could work is in a co-op system. We as Cascadia Seaweed are looking at growing hundreds and then thousands of tons of seaweed. If there's other folks that want to farm it, and sell it to us uh, as an input crop, we're very interested in having that dialogue. Uh, we try to be a collaborative company, share our knowledge about farm construction, share our knowledge about nurseries to create the seedlings, share our knowledge about how we plant and harvest. And we're happy to work with networks of folks that want to grow it on their own and then sell it at a profit to us. We'll buy it and then turn it into our own value added products. So there's a wide range of opportunities. And as I mentioned earlier, even entrepreneurs that want to come in and just buy it from some of these small farmers and use it themselves to try making things like bioplastics or other biostimulants or nutritional supplements. Why not? We, we encourage more folks to get into it. It's a new industry. It's a new sector in the Western world. And uh, we need as many participants and supporters as we can to help ensure that uh, seaweed or, or macroalgae becomes uh, a mainstream component of food, feed and fiber uh, across the Western world. I want to spend a little bit more time on, on one of those verticals, maybe the, the food element um, that, you, that you talked about. And I, I'm not sure if you would include dietary supplements, nutraceutical as part of food, or is, would you put that more in the chemical? Well, 
That's a good question uh, in terms of uh, where you draw the line. So for us, anything that goes into the human body, uh, first of all, has to start with a Canadian Food Inspection Agency standard. Um, we've worked to get um, some of our species of seaweed on uh, the Canadian Natural Health Products Registry to certify that um, they are nutritional, that the claims we make about their constituent components is true, and equally important that there's no harmful heavy metals or other elements or components within the seaweed that are harmful. So anything that goes into the human body has to meet those standards. Turning it into a food uh, and selling it, of course, has uh, branding implications. You could sell it yourself under your own brand, as we do with Cove Ocean Foods. You could sell it to other food manufacturers as an input ingredient that they can use in their burgers or vegan burgers or snacks or crackers. When you get into supplements, um, the regulations are the same and we could be doing our own supplements. One of the uh, elements or components in brown seaweeds is called fucoidin and it's very popular in um, the eastern countries, not as common in the western countries yet, but it's it's coming on stream. Um, if it's just a, a, a food supplement, it's easier to market and, and to get on shelves. If you get into things like pharmaceuticals or any medical claims, that's a much, much longer process that, that we're staying away from. Um, and, and although it could be a pill that you took as a supplement, as soon as you make a medical claim, or pharmaceutical claim, it's beyond uh, the reach of many small and medium-sized companies to go through that regulatory process. So for us, food, the food category is the branded food products. When we start talking about selling it as a food ingredient to other manufacturers or selling it as an industrial ingredient to other manufacturers, while it's still food, we gonna, we're going to do it uh, separately from the, the brand and do it as Cascadia rather than as Cove Ocean Foods. And I've seen that in a, a couple other seaweed companies that we've uh, interacted with. They have their own branded products, either for food or feed. And then they also offer supplements for other people to take under their umbrella. The bottom line is it all has to be safe. It all has to be handled in the same way. And you have to be able to trace uh, your products logistically and electronically and digitally from seed to shelf so that it's important even for small manufacturers to show where they got their seed, how their nursery was operated, the practices they did to plant the seaweed, the practices and systems they used to monitor water quality while it was growing, and then how it was handled as it was harvested, transported to dock, and then into a plant. That provenance from seed to shelf is very important, both for consumer confidence, uh, but also for regulatory control, and then just good uh, standard operating procedures within a company. Um, but uh, food will have a, 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 a relatively broad application. It's just which element of that food uh, path you want to be um, working in. Is that why you decided to go straight to into farming? I mean, what what I'm hearing is, well, you could potentially have started by manufacturing your own product uh, using someone else's seaweed. What what made you go? No, we need to farm it first. Sure, um, that's a, a very important point. Uh, over ninety five or ninety eight percent of the world's seaweed currently comes from Asian countries like. 
China, Japan, Korea, Indonesia. Large Asian seaweed manufacturers in the Western world, by and large, took the products that they manufactured. The reason I say products is because seaweed, when it's wet, is 90% water, 10% uh, dried mass. And it's very difficult to ship water across the Pacific to uh, other countries. So people dried it and processed it. So what the Western world typically saw was already processed goods. Uh, there were a number of companies about 10 years ago that tried to uh, expand the seaweed sector and they weren't successful for a number of reasons. We started three years ago before people even started uh, talking about the blue economy. And what's changed this time is two things. The first one is the advent of plant-based food and we've seen companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods that have really fostered using plant-based alternatives for protein. So that was a big change. And the second one is, uh, like I talked about at COP26, folks are finally realizing that climate change is a real threat and we have to do things differently. And that's what put the wind in the sails of um, the seaweed sector and um, now has provided supply. Uh, five years ago, if you were anywhere in the Netherlands, uh, Norway, the UK, Canada, you said, oh, I want to buy 100 pounds or 100 kilos of wet seaweed. Didn't exist. So it's a fast uh, oncoming industry where people are able to buy the product. So when we started three years ago, there was no one to buy seaweed from to turn it into products. So we decided, first of all, to grow it ourselves, to grow a lot of us, a lot of it, and then develop the, the market verticals and the use of it as we went forward. Um, I won't say it's risky. I won't say it's a gamble. Uh, perhaps it's it's the entrepreneurial spirit that you know we'll figure it out as we go. And if you start with a strong enough team and with a disciplined focus and beginning with the end in mind as we did, and the end in mind for us was to profitably grow and sell a large amount of seaweed, then, then it all comes together. Um, so the simple answer is there was no seaweed to buy and try. And um, we had to make it ourselves to, 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 to um, foster and, and, and show others by growing it ourselves, we're able to show others that, hey, there's a viable industry, you should get into growing too. And now in British Columbia alone, there's three or four companies. In Alaska, there's a, a three or four new companies, the same in Norway, the Netherlands, the UK. So folks are all catching on. Um, and, and the good news is the market is big. So there's more cooperation than there is competition. And that's uh, really worthwhile that any of us can pick up a phone, talk to a fellow company and compare notes and lessons learned. Absolutely, yeah. I, I do hear that a lot, to be fair, in the industry, which is great. Um, let's talk about Cove a little bit more, if if possible. Um, I'm curious to hear about what products you're working on at the moment. Um, I know you, from previous interviews, there was um, a lot of product development that you were working on. What's the situation at the moment? What, what have you got ready? Right, so Cove is a, a branded food product uh, owned by Cascadia Seaweed. And uh, branding is a very important starting aspect. What kind of um, impression do you want to make on consumers about what you're selling? And in our case, um, we are selling a quality food product from the ocean growing in clean waters 
sustainably grown and harvested, uh, plant-based, obviously, uh, vegan where we can, organic where we can. And the reason I say where we can is depending on the jurisdictions, there's lots of rules about what um, comprises vegan or, or organic. And then converting it into food products that the consumer wants. And our, our line is that we want to do staples and snacks that you can eat at home and on the road morning, noon, and night. So we want to make sure that seaweed gets into uh, the diets. We did some initial product development on uh, a vegan jerky made from seaweed. That's tricky and that work is still ongoing. Our first product to market is Cove Spice. It's a sea spice made from seaweed. It's now available in three flavors. It can be bought on the Cove Ocean Foods website or locally in retailers. Right now, only in our home province, unfortunately. Um, but the three flavors is, is pretty exciting. So we now have a, a range of it. We're also working on a seaweed in uh, tortilla chips as a component, and it provides protein and taste and mouthfeel or organoleptics is the, is the industry term for the mouthfeel to make sure that it works. Um, and also puffs, like they're like cheese puffs, but we call them protein puffs. And they have, again, seaweed in it for the flavor and the beneficial components. We're doing research on other products like seaweed burgers and uh, artificial crab cakes. So anything that uh, will delight the consumer, and it's always important that the product tastes good. Um, the first component that consumers look for is taste. Am I, am I happy eating it? Does it leave me satisfied? And then the other things like the brand and the price and what's exactly in the ingredients sort of comes second. So it's a lot of work and when it's done well, it's uh, very rewarding to see the comments that people send in. Oh, I love this spice. I use it on everything. I want to order more. And I think repeat orders is... Uh, is very satisfying, but it's also the way to build a business. Give a product that satisfies the consumer at the right price, have it stand out from its competitors, and then um, you'll be off to the races. What sort of uh, testing have you done? This is a, an industry where, you know, still in its infancy, it's, I would imagine it's a lot, very, very difficult for you to know what your potential customer might want. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that there was, there still is quite a bit of testing to see, you know, what, what works, what doesn't. Um, you send samples to your um, potential customers. How, how does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a constant um, activity. Uh, it evolves. Um, first testing, of course, is done in, in the lab with uh, product developers. And, and then literally they take it to their friends and families and try it out. Um, if the target group is uh, vegan mums, then we target a group of them. Uh, most of our product development is done in Vancouver, which, in, which fortunately is a wonderful jurisdiction for uh, folks that like to eat healthy and like convenience and have very high standards. So we have sort of a captured audience of friends and family and colleagues in Vancouver that do a lot of testing. And then um, products are sent to our other offices. So our, our own staff, who by and large represents our target audience, uh, do a lot of product testing. And then you put it on the shelf. Um, if you spend too much time um, with testing, you get into um, uh, analysis paralysis. And, and the best test is, is 
you know, not to bet the farm on it, but to put products on the shelf and see how the consumer responds. Of course, we're also at a number of trade shows, um, both in uh, Canada and the U.S., where you have a booth set up and people come by and test it. And the food shows are always a good one because, for example, a planted food show will have consumers and producers in exactly your space. And maybe that's the most critical audience. And if they like it and they give you the thumbs up, then you know you're you're really on the right track. You're onto something. Yes. I'm curious to dive a bit deeper into the branding aspect because it sounds like it's really important. And I'd like to hear your opinion um, and your experience on this so far. Sure. How, how important do you feel um, is changing people's perception and expand the consumer's acceptance of seaweed? Well, I think that uh, changing consumers' acceptance and expanding their awareness is fundamentally important. Um, the average Western world uh, consumer is walking down a shelf and says, oh, look, here's a product with seaweed in it. And uh, folks' main interaction with seaweed is the stuff that's washed up on the beach and has sat there for a week, and it's not very appealing. My counter to that is take a bag of carrots and leave it on the beach for a week and then come back and see how it is. It's not very appealing. So we take seaweed fresh from the water and uh, quickly process it so we're preserving all the value and taste. That's the first step. Um, of course, nowadays, uh, brands are uh, fostered and introduced to the world through social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok. So our team does all of those aspects of branding. Um, we've uh, hired a, a, a very strong branding company in uh, Western Canada that's done a lot of work with um, plant-based foods. So they have their own operating experience, knowing what's worked with other plant-based foodstuffs and ensure that we're following the trends or setting the trends. You start to get into things like the visual appeal of your uh, product. In our case, Ocean Foods, the, the spice jar has a little bit of pink and pastel color in it and it immediately stands out. So once your our brand is known, like the Cove Ocean Foods, um, then when the next product extension comes along, like uh, tortilla chips or puffs, it'll say, you know, the Cove tortilla chips or the Cove puffs, and they'll go, oh, I've had Cove sea spice, so I know that's good, that was delicious, and I bet the new product's gonna be delicious. So you start to have uh, built-in um, uh, consumers and advocates of your product or ambassadors and then you just start and build it out a little bit at a time. The big brands spend a heck of a lot of money on promotion and advertisements and billboards and TV spots. Smaller companies like ourselves obviously can't do that. We have to use a lot of uh, word of mouth, social media and then attendance at the, at the food expos and um, events like that and that helps get the word out. You're a pioneer in an industry that, like you said, didn't really exist in British Columbia when you started out. Um, I wanted to get a little bit more into how that was uh, starting the first seaweed farm in British Columbia, whether there was a clear path to follow or whether you, you encountered many obstacles. And, and, and one important thing I wanted to ask is, as a pioneer, where do you look for inspiration? Who, who do you look up to when you're kind of starting out and there's not much there for comparison? In um, British Columbia, uh, the aquaculture industry uh, has been thriving for a number of decades. And aquaculture typically was 
finfish, finfish farming, shellfish, and shellfish farming. Uh, we've added a third leg to the triangle, and that's bringing seaweed into aquaculture. Fortunately, uh, with an industry that was worth somewhere between 1.6 and $1.7 billion a year with finfish and shellfish, uh, coastal British Columbia, the government, uh, communities were used to things and value being extracted from the sea in a responsible manner. So when we said that we're now going to start to grow seaweed, um, there was almost a, an instant a recognition of it. Uh, the regulatory approach in Canada is both at the provincial and federal levels, and the government ensures that you're not putting in an invasive species, that you're not blocking navigable waters, that you're not harming existing species. So that process takes a bit of time. With respect to um, mentors, um, a number of folks in a number of categories. There was a professor, Dr. Louis Drool, who's been in the seaweed industry for 40 years, as a professor, and he had a, a small farm of his own, still does, sells a very small amount of seaweed sort of at the craft scale from his own farm. So he was uh, an inspiration and a mentor and uh, a teacher. We looked at other uh, plant-based industries in Canada like Daya and Capasa chips. So there's a, a number of food providers in Canada that have gone before us finding a niche or finding a product that was unique and really building it up to be a strong and viable, uh, have, a, have a strong and viable place in the marketplace. So those folks provided some mentorship or guidance. Um, fortunately, myself and my four business partners are all experienced entrepreneurs or business folks. So we're uh, able to bring little elements from our past. And then an interesting um, component is uh, the younger people coming to join the company and say, hey, I'm 35 years old, I've got a degree in this, I'm really passionate about the environment, or I'm passionate about plant-based food, or I'm passionate about coastal communities and indigenous participation. And they themselves um, bring in a form of mentorship. We, had, uh, we were up working in the northern part of the province one time, and we came to this very isolated but beautiful beach. Um, we were driving back from a work day, and we just stopped. And it was about a kilometer long of beautiful sand and the water coming in. And uh, there was a lot of plastic washed up on the beach. And I said something like, well, it's unfortunate to see this pollution here. And two of the team members said, yeah, we'll have to gather it all up before we leave. And I said, yeah, right. And they go, no, really? And we spent an hour and we got three garbage bags and we cleared up all the plastic and had it properly disposed of. And it's that kind of an attitude that's come into the company where people are bringing their best selves to work and ensuring that everybody raises their own bar to uh, have outcomes like that. I'd like to make a sort of lateral moving onto something of a much more practical, hands-on topic. Seaweed harvesting. Harvesting and uh, obviously you talked about farming. What happens to the seaweed, to your seaweed, after harvesting? Do you process your own seaweed? Do you send it to a, a third party? So um, the first step in harvesting, obviously, is getting the seaweed off the lines. Um, a typical seaweed farm will have the seaweed uh, suspended on ropes, mm -hmm. held up with buoys and anchored to the ocean floor. And the depth at which the seaweed grows is typically between two and four meters. So all companies in the Western world go out with a boat. And the size of the boat will be determined by how big your farm is. 
and you unhook your line and you pull it to the surface and you take a knife and you cut the seaweed fronds off and put them in fish totes or bags. We have uh, quite a lot of seaweed, so it's a somewhat automated process with um, a winch and a pulley and an overhead crane so that as you cut the seaweed, it falls automatically into the totes. Um, some companies, smaller companies, hand harvest it and transfer it by hand into their totes. Once the seaweed comes out of the ocean, you have about eight hours maximum in a cool climate before it starts to break down. Fortunately, all of our farms are within a couple hours of a dock or a jetty or a port. We take all of our seaweed to a central plant. Um, we're using uh, a fish plant, quite a large fish plant, as a contractor. And in that plant, the seaweed is dumped into a conveyor belt. It's carefully washed. Any shellfish or anything else natural that's not seaweed is removed from it as it goes down the, the, the assembly line. There's a small amount of pressure applied to the seaweed to reduce standing water. And in our case, we freeze it, blast freeze it in 15 kilogram blocks. And that then gives you time to do with it what you want to do over the subsequent months. So we have a, a freezer filled with, in our case, this year, 50 tons of uh, good quality, clean seaweed frozen uh, in 15 kilogram blocks. And then for the Cove Ocean Foods, we use a co-packer uh, that's used to dealing with other food products, other natural food products, and then powdering it or drying it or crushing it or grinding it so then it can become um, an ingredient in our own consumer brands. We also have the remainder of the frozen seaweed um, that we can thaw and use for scientific experiments or trials with cow feed. In the future, depending on uh, which verticals we decide are best for the company, we could dry it right out of the water and drying can be done by just spreading it in fields or hanging it and it reduces the weight by about 90%. So 10 kilograms of wet seaweed will become one kilogram of dried seaweed. And then it could be easily ground and used as a supplement. And then the third big way is something called bioprocessing or biorefining or fractionating. And that fortunately is done in a very green manner. When people think of refineries, they think of refining uh, crude oil into gasoline products, and that is a, a relatively robust industry. The good news is uh, biorefining seaweed is a green process, mainly using pressure and steam um, in a completely you know, renewable, sustainable, uh, environmentally friendly manner and breaking the seaweed down. This is something that we're investigating with partners, looking at refining the seaweed to break it into its components of functional proteins, carbohydrates, polysaccharides, which in turn will either be sold as industrial products themselves or go back into our own uh, food products. It's all a question of scale and uh, increasing the processing capacity as we go ahead. As an entrepreneur, there's a bit of a valley of death, you know, up to about 500 tons. You can process it with co-packers or fish plants. When you start to get into 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 tons a year, then you need to have dedicated facilities. So our folks are doing a lot of work on researching, refining, and developing a business model where biorefining, having our own biorefinery, uh, makes sense. And that's something that you'll probably see coming out in the next couple of years. It sounds like there's a lot of engineering involved. Did you, did you have to 
design and build your own machinery or did you find uh, existing uh, maybe from linked or, or related industries like plant-based ingredients or anything like that. Sure. Where you could borrow technology. Yeah. Because you talked about some very specific uh, processes there and you're thinking, well, well yeah. what's, what's, what do we have there? It's, it's a good news story and a bad news story. The good news story is once the seaweed is dried, it behaves very much like any other powdered protein or powdered product. And existing co-packers can uh, adopt it in their systems. The bad news is that when seaweed's wet, it does not behave like a wet vegetable. If you took broccoli or spinach and tried to chop it and put it through a sieve, it, it behaves quite well. Seaweed, because it comes from the sea, is more viscous and it has more binding agents. And it typically gums up food processing machinery when it's wet. So you have to do things that are specific for uh, seaweed. In terms of um, our team, we have uh, 20 team members. Uh, amongst them are four engineers, uh, civil and mechanical and biomedical engineers. We have uh, three PhDs in the areas of phyconomy, which is, or sorry, phycology, which is the science of seaweed, um, fish, fish health, bovine health. So we have our own expertise there. And then, you know, uh, a lot of accountants that help put it all together. And this is perhaps one of the things that separates a cottage or small industry from a company that's becoming a little bit more advanced. It's the quality of uh, your team members and the resources that you have to get them on board. I mentioned uh, that we're very uh, collaborative and that's the same thing with processing. I can call up folks in Norway or the Netherlands or the Faroes or the States and say, how, how have you handled this problem? Huh. And by and large, people are open and collaborative and want to share the challenges that they had. So um, it's all of the above. It's it's a strength in uh, your own team. It's finding a parallel industry that has similar challenges and solutions. And um, then it's collaboration with, with the others. Uh, it's not a competitive market yet. It's still a, a collaborative market. There's lots of room for everybody to grow. And that's one of the enjoyable things about being in this sector, apart from interviews like this, where you get to spread the word, <laughs> is to be able to work with uh, like-minded folks. I was in Alaska a few weeks ago and I stood around a table at lunch and I smiled because there were three of the fellow entrepreneurs, one from the Faroes, one from the Netherlands, one from Alaska, who I dealt with over Zoom and Google Meets over the last couple of years. And in fact, their three faces were standing there like we were still on Zoom, but we finally got to be face to face. And, and we rapidly got into a shared discussion about the challenges, very similar growth rates and volumes and harvesting problems. But we were able and open to, to, to talk about how we solved them and how we could help each other. So um, that's rewarding and helpful and you know, a positive aspect of this sector. It's nice that there's definitely a common language. I mean, seaweed is the same in BC as it would be in Norway, and the problems I'm, I'm assuming would be very similar. There's, there's got to be a lot of uh, common challenges, and so it must be quite quite rewarding and, and, and fun to actually deal with that, I'm sure. It, it is. It is indeed. And, uh, you know, we all learn things from our education and experience, and I recall one saying from my MBA which I did quite a while ago, and that was do your best, 
outsource the rest. And uh, we, we use that because if there's things we're good at or better at, we do it. And if there's somebody that's better at it and we can outsource the activity to them and they meet our values and our virtues and our standards, then of course we'll do that. And that's the same thing with uh, sharing farm design or harvesting equipment or processing or seeding. Uh, I could go on about the number of sectors that folks collaborate in. Um, you know, if there's things that are particular to BC and make sense for us, we'll do our own solution. But if there's something that the folks in the Netherlands are doing, why wouldn't we adopt it? So we have those kind of conversations on a weekly basis, uh, depending on the need. Something I always like to ask is about the need for innovation in the industry and how how I'd like to do that is by exploring your frustrations uh, in your day-to-day life uh, as an entrepreneur and an ocean farmer. What is your biggest problem or pain point at the moment? Another way to look into this would be what change or innovation would you like to see in the industry? We have to, um, we have to continue to drive down the... Um, per unit price. Uh, Asia does it a lot cheaper than we do for a variety of reasons. So in the Western world, we have to drive down the per unit price or how much does it cost to land a kilogram of wet seaweed on the jetty. And there's ways we're attacking that problem by having bigger farms in smaller areas, uh, better seeding, more predictable harvesting, things like that. So, so that's a, a pain point. The other one is everything to do with processing. As I said, it's not spinach, it's not kale, it's not carrots. So we all have to collectively work on food processing and bioprocessing to ensure that seaweed, which is a very different substance, um, gets processed in a way that's economical and efficient. So that's a bit of a pain point. Uh, consumer acceptance is not so much because people want to eat healthy uh, they want products where they know th- where the product has come from, where they know it's good for them, and where they know it has benefits for the planet. So that that's an easy one. Other pain points, in, in our jurisdiction, licensing takes a bit of time. And, and I know it's the same in, in uh, many other Western countries is to get their own governing bodies to understand the industry and to reduce bureaucracy, to get licensed and to get in the water. And then um, the last one is, it's an interesting one. We attend a lot of tech forums and tech groups. And they go, oh yeah, we're looking for high tech or hard tech solutions to climate change, for example. And we like to say, well, we're tech. And they give me a strange look and they go, you're a seaweed (laughs) farmer. And I say, no, it's earth tech. Mother Nature helped us get into this problem. Mother Nature can help us get out of this problem. So we're actually... It's not genetic modification. It's just using something that grows naturally in a technical manner. And, and we use a lot of tech, both with water monitoring and chemical analysis and then product uh, formulation. We use a lot of tech. So we actually are quite tech focused and we have a few things that are in uh, the patent process. So tech, tech does play a role, but it's, uh, it's a pain point to convince technical investors and ESG investors that yes, Seaweed is a tech product, even if it was the first living thing on the planet Earth and has been around <laughs> a long time, it, it can uh, do quite well with a tech banner. I know how busy you are, and I'm very grateful that you made the time to talk to me today. Do you have any, any final recommendation, a message or a call to action for the audience? 
the call to action is, um, it's not as glib as eat more seaweed, but it is uh, as straightforward as learn more about the sector. There's a couple of wonderful books out there in French and English. Um, there's a tremendous amount of literature available. Uh, as a shameless uh, promotion, our own website, CascadiaSeaweed.com, has lots of information, lots of reading about seaweed and the sector across the Western world. Um, and if you're in your local store and you see a product made by a local entrepreneur has seaweed in it, buy it and enjoy it. Great. You mentioned the book, uh, the books. Would you mind, if you remember, would you mind uh, sharing the titles? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Um, uh, the names don't pop into mind. I mean, there's lots of local books. I have one here that was written by uh, one of one of our mentors, Pacific Seaweeds. Every jurisdiction has has their own. Uh, I think there was a book called Slime, which traces seaweed from the earliest days to today. Um, it's a funny title, but it's it really promotes uh, seaweed. There's one that's just come out uh, in French that's going to be translated uh, to English and available in the EU uh, from a group called the Safe Seaweed Coalition. Um, Europe, in some respects, is a lot further ahead than North America on promoting seaweed. Um, we're trying to change that. We're part of something called uh, Seaweed Around the Clock, follows the sun around the earth and talks about uh, how seaweed is making a positive impact in, in a number of countries and in a number of time zones. So there's lots of ways to get educated on seaweed and um, that can generally only have positive outcomes. Fantastic. You mentioned the website. Um, anywhere else people can find you? Cascadia Seaweed. Everything's there. All roads lead to that. Cascadia Seaweed. All right, this is it then. All right. Thank you, Mike. Great talking to you. And thanks for your time and your questions. Absolutely, my pleasure. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.